Hey, welcome to Educate for Life with Ryan Francis. Let's get right into it. I did not expect us to spend uh, this much time on Montessori, but I do think that it is genuinely, when we talk about family mindfulness, it's really on point to just Mm -hmm. thinking about allowing for these experiences. And I specifically wanted to, to talk with you first, or I guess technically second now, about giving ourselves permission not to be perfect. Because mm-hmm. even with that description, that, that beautiful story you just told, you had to make a conscious decision mm-hmm. to let that child stand there. With all of the judgment that you were having in your, <laughs> in your head of yourself, of what everyone has ever taught you in your life about how you're supposed to be with the child and how you're supposed to pay attention to the child and how you haven't touched the child's hand and this poor child's hand that's been on your shoulder for however long. There's part of your brain going, should I have touched him already? Oh, Is yeah. Oh, yeah. Like all of these things are happening. So I don't want anyone to mistake that beautiful story for, and and look how magical everything is and it all was wonderful and <laughs> la la la, wouldn't it be nice if you were perfect? It's like the opposite. It's, do you know the level of self-mastery required <laughs> and the amount mm-hmm. of forgiveness and compassion you have to give yourself to get to a point where you consciously make the choice in that moment to let that child stand there for potentially 10 minutes mm-hmm. with his hand on your shoulder Like there's stuff going through your head when that happens. And I think we need to learn how to say, you know, perfectionism be gone. We Mm -hmm. we have to learn to let go of the need to have done everything correctly in Mm -hmm. order for those moments to genuinely happen. Mm -hmm. I'm, and I'm thinking specifically the conversation you and I had months ago about your own experience with this kind of what I called good enough parenting as you were attempting to get into what was originally going to be 40 days of family yoga that turned into over 180. Mm -hmm. Like I would love to know more about your experience setting up your family yoga practice and what what that was like, like what, what was your emotional journey and some of your practical choices when you were doing that? Yeah. Thanks. So like you said, um, <laughs> we, we started out with wanting to do it for 40 days because in Kundalini yoga, um, we're taught that that's a, a special set amount of time. You can do it for 40 days. You can go up to 120 and then you can, go on to a thousand days and each set amount of time has a certain effect. Um, but we're especially encouraged to have a meditation or a Kriya practice, the same one for 40 days. Um, which I love and feels very Montessori where Mm -hmm. you are returning over and over to the same experience, but you're re-experiencing it at different times and in different ways. Um, you know, like in education, did you ever see that model of the spiral and, you know, in education? Yeah. So you want to kind of follow a spiral as you're teaching. This is one of the models of education that you would want to follow a spiral so that you keep returning to the same point, but slowly, slowly coming into the center. So you keep returning over and over to to the same thing, which is funny. I keep repeating it. Like I'm doing it now. Um, it's, well, just again, I'm going to reemphasize it, you know, especially as 
kids get older, the spiral is instead of going into the center of the spiral, you're doing the opposite. You're going out mm, from the spiral. It. Mm. And so you, it's important to touch back on quote old knowledge because now mm. it has a new context that can be applied mm. in a new way. And so mm. it may be longer and longer between each time you get exposed to the same idea, but it's critically valuable to return mm. to those mm. ideas and recontextualize them. So yes, I think the spiral image. Yes, you're right. Powerful. I think maybe it was, was okay, yes. Um, so the, 40, the concept of 40 days and doing the same thing over 40 days um, is that. And so it's actually, in my opinion, easier to do 40 days or 180 days of family yoga than it is to do one because yeah. as you get into it and go forward and as you say oh this is just one out of many you start to be able to let go of that day having to be perfect right so like right. we're going to do this again tomorrow we're going to do this again next week we're going to keep doing this this is part of us and we can let it be imperfect um, from one day to the next. So I think, um, I, you know, I just led my families in my program, the be with me program, the summer cohort through doing seven days of family yoga. Um, that's what the course is set up to do is to teach them how to do seven days of family yoga. And then they can expand from there if they choose to. And I, I heard that within the seven days is, people getting a little bit stuck because they're a little bit attached to each day being perfect. Right. Um, so yeah, expanding it and giving it more space to live, I think is a great way to help tone down the expectations of each session of family yoga. And then yoga is just, you know, and meditation and mindfulness lend themselves so much to helping us work through our need for control, right? <laughs> like it's set up to challenge that. And, and yet we constantly return to our feeling of, I'm going to, I'm going to master this. I'm going to do it just right. Right. What, yeah. What a beautiful thing it is as parents and as kids to sit down and encounter our imperfections in a, in a sacred space, right. Mm -hmm. In a conscious way, just like in the Montessori classroom, I think that there is a space created for mistakes and for learning and for growing. And, um, we, it's an important part of the course to talk about how important it is to just be a good enough parent and to not be a perfect parent, which I constantly have to work on so hard because, and I'll, I'll tell you, we have a marriage therapist and I have my own private therapist. So I've thought a lot about this and I come from a traumatic background where I was a foster child. And so I had a lot of thoughts about who I was going to be as a parent because my childhood was traumatic and because my parents didn't do, I'm using quotes, a good job. Um, I think somewhere along the way, I promised myself that I would do a perfect job much better than they did. Right. And so I had that going on and I still have that going on. I really have to, Way to set acknowledge yourself that, for, you know, low expectations. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's been like being a parent has basically been my lifelong goal 
I remember wishing I was pregnant when I was like five, just like, like stuffing my shirt and pretending like I was pregnant. And just every night I grew up in a really religious family praying that I would be a good mother and begging God to help me change into a good person so that I would be a good mother. And so there was definitely a lot of weight of perfectionism going on from the, even before I was a mother. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a lot of, it's a lot of pressure to, to put yourself under. I I was thinking as you were talking about mindfulness, the tendency when we're in those kind of heightened anxious states to, to do the classic, like we don't yell in this family, right. As you're yelling at your kids. (laughs) Yes, exactly. These experiences actually invite i.e. something out of the ordinary, like let's all practice family yoga together is only going to heighten and bring those experiences (laughs) to the front because of new challenges that come up in that. So it is uh, beneficial (laughs) to honor the practices uh, that you are engaging in with mindfulness and go, okay, I'm going to accept on the outset that I'm going to make some mistakes that I am going to feel terrible about later. Yeah. And that's part and owning that on the front end and saying, okay, I'm going to be mindful when I want to yell at the kids or I'm going to yep. be mindful when I have yelled at the kids communicating about to them, both what caused me to yell and apologizing for yelling because we are consciously as a family trying to, make a different choice. And I did not make the choice that I wanted to make. Yeah. You make mistakes. Will you forgive me? And I'll forgive you when you misstep and do whatever else. I think that's critically important. And again, not easy. (laughs) No. Right. So then that's why I included this whole chapter in the course about being a good enough parent, because all these therapists that I talked to kept saying like, you need to be just a good enough parent. And I was not happy with them telling me that I'm like, I think that's, you know, really just you. Yeah. BS is the word I was looking for. Sure. Like I'm not buying it. And it took a long time for me to unravel that and realize the reason I thought you could be a perfect parent (laughs) was because I had never had real parents in my life. I had always had this sort of distance relationship and fantasy relationship with real parents and I, and I didn't consider the parents that I had real parents because they were foster parents. And then I didn't live in the physical proximity of my biological parents. So I'd never actually experienced real parenting. So I had a fantasy of it. And it looked like what I saw in movies or what I saw on Instagram, which is ridiculous. It's not real. And real human beings, real connection is different than that fantasy. Um, and so they helped me like realize that actually good enough parenting is healthy because perfect parenting is detrimental. Like yeah. perfect parenting, like we said, like meeting a child's every need is detrimental. It will handicap them and make it so that they can't be independent and capable on their own. And so they helped me realize that the times that I get mad and I yell or I am emotional or moody or tired or feel like I've failed in some way is actually a really important moment for my children to be able to learn from me how to cope with being a human being. 
And if, if I can be a human being in front of them and accept it and not hate myself for being a human being, then I'm giving them the gift of being able to be human and love themselves that way too. Yeah. Yeah, that's very real. I, I'd like to change it for a second. And if this is uh, out of bounds, you know, please tell me and we'll move on right away. Um, <laughs> something that I found very interesting in your phrasing about your foster parents now. We haven't talked deeply about your history, so I don't know exactly yeah. what that looked like. So again, if I'm treading into, you know, not a good space, you just, well, just let me know. Oh, I'm, I'm fine with that. I'm open about it. Yeah. I, I figured from our past conversation, I, I trusted, but I wanted to make sure that I really... <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Oh, you're welcome. Um, That it was interesting to me that you just said you hadn't experienced real parenting because they weren't your real parents. And what I heard in what you described to me was that you had absolutely experienced real parenting. And sometimes parenting is ugly. Yeah. What you hadn't experienced was the parenting that you wanted to experience. Yeah. And so when well, you, so, so yeah, go ahead. It was a little complicated in my situation because, um, my personal s- story is that my mother and f- my mother has mental illness. And so she would tell me that she was going to come and get me. And so the family I lived with, they wanted to adopt me, but couldn't. And so it was like this enforced, like, distance. So Mm. like I called them by their names and I knew I wasn't part of their family. And I knew that when I was 18, I wouldn't be, it wouldn't be my home anymore. And Mm. like it was, there really was unfortunately in my situation, a real, um, distance between parenting and, and there, yeah, there were some situations that just parents, like there were things like, um, you know, you, you won't be able to live here anymore if you don't do things a certain way, kind of a thing that wouldn't, wouldn't yeah. happen. I don't know. I probably, oh, it no. does actually happen with biological. Was like, I have had like students that. whose parents who were their biological parents told them shit like that. Like yeah. Yeah. This is, this, this is what I meant about. It is real parenting. It just happens to be yeah. perhaps what we would identify as shitty parenting. <laughs> I mean, I mean, not. I do no. have judgment around that. To be clear, I'm just going to own it. I have judgment. I know, and I, I'm trying to protect the people who were loving and generous with me as my foster parents. I, one of them has passed, so he won't hear it. But, um, like my foster sister or my foster brother, I don't know if they would hear it. And it, it's interesting telling the story because I do. I want to tell my truth, but it's hard when you're telling truths that other people are hurt by. I, I oh, yeah. struggle with that a lot. So, yeah. And so yeah. it's so funny with the Satnam is I don't see just like we're talking about parenting. I didn't see that in, I see it as an invocation. And the thing about invocations is they are also in, are imperfect. So mm. it to say something like Satnam is to say, I am making the conscious choice to be as much of myself as I can be right now. Yes. It's not saying, well, I have just declared that I am perfectly me in the most conscious of ways and you're going to get all of me. Like that's just not, (laughs) yes, that's not real. So to me, how beautiful for you to own that moment and share it so vulnerably. So thank you. Thank you for that. 
Hey all, just want to take a quick break in the action, let you know that if you're enjoying what you're listening to, please do recommend it to a friend. I would love to expand my audience, and the best ways to do that are word of mouth and reviewing my podcast on the iTunes Apple Podcast platform. If you'd like to leave me a voice comment, go over to anchor.fm slash educate for life. Anchor.fm slash educate the number four life. It might even end up in the show. For more information about what I'm up to, please check out my website, www.educate4.life. That's educate, the number four, dot life. Now, back to the show. I wanted, there was like, of course, 10,000 things in my brain and so many ways we could talk about what you were just saying about your own history. Mm-hmm. Something I specifically, which again, to honor, sounds incredibly challenging. Um, to not develop that attached relationship that we know is so critical for most human beings in our emotional uh, development and our sense of safety and security in the world. It's just, it's a very rare human who doesn't need um, to have that type of experience. So again, thank you for being so vulnerable and, and, and sharing that. Something that is unrelated to that, related to specifically your family yoga practice, was I remember you saying to me that when you wanted to institute this family mindfulness practice, you felt like you were coercing your children. Mm -hmm. And I thought it might be valuable to talk a little, for you to talk a little bit about what that part of the experience was like for you. Okay. Um, Let's see. It it feels like my son, Giorgio, like is very active and wants to do something else at that time of day. We, We were mostly doing it at night, right before bed. And that's kind of a tough time of the day. He is just so ambitious and he's like very much a little engineer and just has tons of ideas and wants to execute them. So at the end of the day, right before bed, and I I remember feeling this too as a child, like, whoa, I only have a few more minutes like to live, you know, (laughs) (laughs) it's over, everything's over and I have to go lay in that bed and go to sleep. And I, I remember the day that I realized there's a night at the end of every day and feeling so depressed about that. Like, ah, oh, I'm going to have to go to bed every single day of my life. That's so sad. Um, and so he just really resists bedtime too. So it's just, even though we like to use it as a transition, I think it's a really tough time of day. Um, and so it's just, it didn't feel natural most of the time to sit down on, our mats and tune in with the mantra that we tune in with and just get present to whatever we're feeling and, and have um, kind of just such a structure to that time. And so I did have to, I really had to hold the space like a lot, like in a Montessori classroom where we're asking kids to just go a little bit above what they've ever done before so that they can experience a new level of their capacity. Um, so, so we were doing that with them, asking a little bit more than maybe they felt like was possible. <laughs> and um, 
one of the ways that we really utilize the Montessori philosophy in our family yoga practice and why I say it's, it's kind of Montessori influenced is that we started having them lead the yoga practice and the meditation um, and the mindfulness. And so that way it wasn't us just dictating to them and telling them you have to do this or we're all going to do this or, you know, making it something other than natural for their bodies. So um, that, that was a great way to bring the practice into their ownership and give them ownership of it. So Giorgio is extremely engaged on the days that he's leading. Like it's, <laughs> it suddenly becomes very important for everybody to sit down and do the yoga practice and do the, the things that he wants us to do. Um, yeah. So that's a fun part of our, our model is that we, we have the, our four-year-old daughter Shalom in the videos is leading a class. Giorgio was six at the time and, um, is leading a class and, you know, we're holding space for them the way Montessori teachers do, where we're not, we're not correcting them and telling them they have to do it a certain way. We're really respecting them as, as being capable. Yeah, there's a time for technique where there is such thing as a correct technique, mm -hmm. the most efficient way to execute a technique and learning proper technique. And mm -hmm. there's something different in doing it the way that I would do it. Mm -hmm. Right? So, well, I would do it this way. That's one thing to communicate that. It's another thing to say any way that is not my way is wrong, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which gets communicated so often. That's where a lot of parents get caught up. Um, when it comes to family yoga, like, especially when we were leading classes at a studio, it became this situation where parents would get really embarrassed that their kids were making noise or not following along or not doing what we were doing. And I was teaching toddler yoga. So of course they were oh. like off doing their own versions of what we were doing. And, um, a lot of people are really surprised when I say that one-year-olds like to meditate and my one-year-old would never meditate. But what I mean by a one-year-old meditating is that if you meditate in front of a one-year-old, they will be fascinated. Yes. They will come over and just like study you. Like, what is she doing right now? She's on the floor. She's like, we do this chant um, where we hold up one finger and we go like this and we say, I am happy. I am good. I am happy. I am good. Satanam, 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 ji. Wahe guru, wahe guru, wahe guru, ji. And you do it as a chant and then a whisper and then you're silent and then you whisper and then you chant. So that's what the Master of Kundalini Yoga, Yogi Bhajan, taught as a meditation. And so if you do that in front of one-year-olds, they're fascinated, but they're not going to chant with you. They're not going to sit down and do everything you're doing. But what always happens is when they're going to bed that night, they'll start chanting it. Yeah. They'll like process it and they'll bring it up the next day and they'll ask for it. And it's happened in all the families that are in our program um, this semester. They're like, my one-year-old is the one who loves it the most. <laughs> and um, so I don't know if that answered your question about the coercion part, but I do think it, it, it does, which is that, there are days that we have to be committed to it more than our kids and we have to sit down and model it mm. just, you know, like Montessori teachers in a classroom 
are really committed to the quiet in the classroom, right? And they right. set the tone, they call it tone setting, right? And mm-hmm. and to the order of the classroom and, and you can't get work out and do it and then leave it out and go get another one. You have to put it back. That preserves the order and that respects the person who's coming next to use the work and you, you're contributing to your community. And those principles, you know, the teacher holds and sets that tone. Um, and so I think sometimes Montessori even is misread as coercive, you know, and like having too many rules. Um, <laughs> All the time. Yeah. yeah. But it's a delicate balance between. <laughs> well, right? this goes back to like the opening of this conversation in a way about um, when I say classroom management is self-management. So much of self-management is people who, I have found who misunderstand Montessori either think it's like Gestapo. It's like, you know, March and this, these lines and this way of doing things and you did it wrong and so on and so forth. And, and very strict and very fascist. And then if, uh, and then other people think it's just la 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 hippie kids running around doing whatever the hell they want. And the thing that is so powerful to me about Montessori is it's in the middle. It's, freedom within discipline. Discipline means nothing without the freedom to enact it, right? Freedom means nothing without the discipline to use it. Mm-hmm. So, so these things must inherently play off of each other. And we're seeking in a Montessori classroom to get that quote, right balance, unquote, knowing there's no such thing as a perfect balance. But just, again, we have an orderly environment so that you have the freedom to use it. Because if it's a disorderly environment, now your freedom is hampered because you're cleaning up after someone else or the teacher's cleaning up after a student or students are cleaning up after students or you can't find the materials that you need. And now suddenly your, your freedom is limited. You know, mm-hmm. I think to, that's what I was thinking when you were talking about coercion is it's like, if you know genuinely in your heart of hearts, not just um, it's my way or the highway, but you know we know that broccoli and spinach are going to be good for the majority of humans on the planet. When you say to your kid, eat your vegetables, regardless, we're not getting into how to communicate that most effectively. We're just, <laughs> just generally speaking, I know that cruciferous greens are good for my child. You, you only feel like you're coercing your child when you don't have the energy to, quote, fight them, unquote, about it. Mm-hmm. But you would never say that you were coercing your child if you said, okay, please eat your broccoli, and the kid ate their broccoli. But it's mm-hmm. the same intent. The intent is for your child to be healthy. So I think sometimes what feels like coercion is the breaking of a pattern Mm. not as quote good or helpful or successful as another pattern would be. And that Mm -hmm. it's so easy for all of us humans. Like the the first time when I redirected a teenager in a monastery environment, being new to the monastery environment, I didn't know where the boundary was. Mm. I, I didn't know what I could quote tell them to do versus what I ought to let them do on their own or figure out. Mm. And it took me a while of frankly getting stepped on. Mm -hmm and not holding appropriate boundaries Mm -hmm. to figure that out. And it was actually one of my students who I finally made a connection with who redirected the worst actor in the room who was, you know, being argumentative just for fun. And she didn't think she was having fun, but I knew that part of her brain was enjoying the process of being argumentative. And it was my other student who was like, Hey, that's not appropriate. I like how you're treating Ryan. I'd like you to stop that now. 
And that was like, oh, look, my student knew how to set that boundary. Wow. So that was a lesson to me. It was both a lesson about understanding the pack and how teenagers operate in the social order. And it was valuable to me to understand how I could hold that boundary for myself. Not that I hadn't held that boundary with adults for my adult life, but in that moment, I, I needed that adjustment. So I wanted to just touch back on this idea of not about being perfect. Mm. And, and it's good. Things feel uncomfortable when we change the order, their existing order. Right. Like said before it feels unnatural. It's not that it is unnatural. It's that it feels unnatural because it's not what you're presently, what, what you have been doing up to that point. So expecting it to be hard. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Changing a pattern and, and it was a lot in the beginning, especially about, yeah, introducing something new and, I like how you asked, like, how did, how did we like set up the situation, um, for like it to happen? Because that's a lot of something that we talk about in our program, which is, and Montessori talks about, you know, letting the environment create mm. <laughs> what, what we want and, um, preparing the environment so that it leads everything to where you're trying to go to Montessori teachers are so thoughtful beforehand so that everything flows in the right direction when it comes to the the time. Um, And so we try to build that into our program where we um, like what you said with your boundaries, you said, you know, you were getting stepped on and in family yoga, we literally, we have to (laughs) be careful of being stepped on. (laughs) I've learned this the in very painful ways, (laughs) my son, um, has head butted me several times. Um, and one time I actually, like it was, (laughs) we were at a synagogue and he was sitting in my lap. He actually, he turned and he like got something out of my lap and then sat up really fast and, and hit me directly under my nose up into my jammed my nose up and I passed out. And so then an ambulance had to come and pick me up and it was a big drawn out thing. (laughs) So I've literally been hospitalized (laughs) like by a child's head. Yeah. Um, I've had my neck stepped on, like you can, you know, like in, we have a small living room, we have a small condo and a lot of people who are interested, I think in doing yoga together, live in an urban environment where they can't get out you know, during winter. And so you're in this cramped space, you're trying to do this stuff with your bodies and you could get stepped on if you don't have boundaries. So we ask each child to have their own yoga mat and to try to stay within their space so that they can respect everybody else's body. And if I'm laying on the floor in Shavasana, I can't relax if someone's going to come and jump on my stomach and every parent who's tried to do yoga at home, just even their own practice knows like it's dangerous to lay on the floor with your belly exposed, like (laughs) relax means like you could really be injured and you just naturally don't do it. And that's part of why a lot of parents end up not practicing at home because it's not safe. Mm -hmm. And so you have to build in these parameters and be thoughtful about it. And understand that you do need to be thoughtful about it because I think also that's a misconception about yoga and meditation is that it should be easy. Like it's supposed to just naturally flow out of your body. Like 
like anything, like you just relax and then it just takes you away on a cloud or something. But it, it is, it's a practice. It's a discipline. It, it takes thoughtfulness and, and definitely as even though we're letting go of expectations, we create a space so that we can be successful. Right. You know, we well, explain to the kids what we're doing. Go sorry, ahead. I didn't mean to cut you off. Please keep going. No, I, go ahead. I want to hear what you're Oh, uh, cool. Well, I, I want to connect your thought um, about preparation, but actually, no, let's, let's pause on that because now that we've horrified everyone about this idea that, you know, all these terrible things can happen when you try to introduce a mindfulness practice to your home about getting stepped on and kicked and brained and and all these sorts of things, um, which the thing I was going to connect back to preparation is you can prepare for a lot of those things so that they don't occur instead of being mad when they happen we can say, okay, that, that way of trying to account for that didn't work, or I didn't think to account for this other thing, et cetera, et cetera. But we could have like an hour and a half conversation just about environment prep. Mm-hmm. And and that, I, it, that's what we do in our program. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Whole, yeah, whole it, chapter, whole like section module. Yeah. A whole section of videos. Yeah. So if that's something you want, you can buy her, <laughs> you can buy her course, yeah. uh, Luminous course. Next time on Educate for Life with Ryan Francis. But in this moment, I think it'd be valuable to give people a little bit of an up uh, as to why it's so cool <laughs> to do this. And something that was really powerful that you said to me when we were talking about your family practice was this idea of uh, connection and freedom, like what it's like to have family time without technology. Mm-hmm. I was hoping you would tell us more about that side of your family mindfulness practice and how that went. Hey again, thanks for listening. If you want more goodness, come hang out with me on Instagram at educate for underscore life. That's educate the number four underscore life. I jump on almost every day and go live once per week to answer questions and just talk about what's on my mind. We've got some cool stuff coming down the pipe, so expect some announcements in the near future. And with that, I hope you have a great week. Talk with you soon.